I was aware that the Discovery Labs campus, which was previously the R&D headquarters for GSK, GSK was really pri- reprioritizing their capital staff and decided to sell off a lot of their real estate. We got lucky to acquire this building and really repurposed it to be a biomanufacturing center of excellence. And we launched our CDMO, our Center for Breakthrough Medicine, now SK PharmTechO, really out of this real estate entity. And it was really through realizing the opportunity that existed in the market. There was lack of supply, ton of demand, and the ability to create something bigger, better, and different. And that's really what we did. We created this new way, really, of working with clients that's resonated Dive into the stories behind Philly's most exciting startups, Founding Philly, a podcast about the innovators, founders, and builders who are shaping the Philly startup scene. Audrey, thank you so much for joining the podcast. So excited to have you on. Appreciate taking the time. Would you mind just doing a quick introduction and then we can jump in? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, Audrey Greenberg. I am the co-founder and chief business officer at the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. We're a cell and gene therapy-focused contract development and manufacturing organization, otherwise known as a CDMO. Uh, we're based in King of Prussia. We occupy about 600,000 square feet at the Discovery Labs, which is a life science ecosystem, obviously, same place. And we cohabitate with Penn and Children's Hospital and other amazing Philadelphia institutions out here. It's great to be part of this ecosystem. Um, and we, Center for Breakthrough Medicines, just got bought by a Korean conglomerate called SK Farm Techo, a subsidiary of SK. And we're now part of an eight-company network of CDMOs around the world with locations in Ireland and France, by coast, obviously, in Korea. So we now have a huge depth and breadth of offering outside of just cell and therapy. We now have small molecule and a tremendous amount of testing and analytics. So really pleased to be part of the SK family. Um, and we now have, we're part of a 2000 person organization. Uh, and before we required Center for Breakthrough Medicines was uh, about three, 400 people. So we're part of this great network of experts that are ready to be your outsourced partner of choice for manufacturing. I, I want to get yeah. into all those things, but I think just up front, just want to get into a little bit more of the terminology, just so some people can get some more familiarity with Center for Breakthrough Medicine, things like that. You mentioned Center for Breakthrough Medicine is CDMO. So just go mm-hmm. into that a little bit for the audience that may not be aware of what that is. Yeah, it's a great question. So a lot of times pharma companies or even small biotechs for that matter outsource their development and their manufacturing. This is not drug development. This is platform development in terms of how they manufacture their pharmaceutical. We originally, when I started the company, really specialized in cell and gene therapies, which are highly complex, injectable, uh, biologics, uh, or we like to call them. And they require a very specific and complex skill set. A lot of times these Therapies are developed in small academic labs. Uh, A scientist, a professor, or MD finds a cure for cancer or genetic disease, but they don't know how to develop a platform to make the product. Um, And it's complicated because you have to abide by very strict FDA guidelines, obviously. And you have to have all the tests that prove that the product is 
effective, that it's working, that it's pure. And so having all those advanced analytics early so that you don't have to slow down your approval process is really important. We partner with companies very early to help them develop that process. And then we manufacture their product for them for clinical trials and commercial um, production. We also do all the testing and analytics that go with that manufacturing process. And we could do that at any point in a product lifecycle from as early as when they start the company to commercial production and beyond. So they can tech transfer a process that they've developed. We can either improve that process or create that process for them. So any of those three things, and we're here. And the reason, by the way, it's important now more than ever is capital as is very tight. The markets have not been friendly this past year or two, especially in the biotech arena. And uh, it can cost up to $2,000 a foot to build clean room space. And it's very hard right now. There is a workforce gap in the manufacturing industry to hire the people to fill the space, to retain them in a market where there's such a, a war on talent. It's a nice environment to outsource. It saves you capital, it saves you time, and allows these companies to focus on what they're really great at, which is developing new drugs. And when I'm thinking about developing new drugs, cell and gene therapy, you may think about, <clears throat> you said, like how Penn, right? Scientists, PhDs, doctors, researchers. What is your background? Someone in this space, right, I would think maybe have that background. So share more about your background, how you ultimately ended up in this space. Yes, it's an interesting and it's never a linear path, right? So I started my career, come from a family of doctors, by the way, so it's all full circle. But I started my career in accounting and finance at Deloitte in Chicago. And at a very young age, got to see a lot of different industries, got to work for a lot of different management styles. And when you're an auditor, you really get to see a company from the inside out. And what I realized was um, the way that products get made and the way that revenue is generated is all based on how efficient the team is, how big the market is, and how effective you can be selling. And so it's about selling, generating revenue, actually to raise the capital, to start the company, then you have to generate the revenue, and then you have to make sure you have the margin to help sustain the business and generate returns for your investors. So I learned this at a young age just by working in audit. I then quickly transitioned to investment banking where I learned about the supply and demand of capital. I worked on the trading floor for a bit, raised capital, did M&A, got exposed to uh, the markets and really loved the capital markets and always was really attracted to that. And after it, through my 30s and spending time and working in private equity in New York and, and everything else, I realized that it's great to generate capital and, and make a lot of money. But ultimately, I am motivated by something greater. And that's when I transitioned into healthcare, just helping patients and making sure patients had access to therapies. And it was through this cell and gene therapy ecosystem that started. And I made my way into this industry really through real estate. We relocated to Philadelphia about 10 years ago after living in New York, Chicago, LA, um, Phoenix, Denver, I think that Detroit. So a lot of different cities. Uh, been, we love Philadelphia now, but been here for 10 years. When we moved here, I was aware that the Discovery Labs campus, which I'm sitting at right now, which was previously the R&D headquarters for GSK, 
GSK was really reprioritizing their capital staff and decided to sell off a lot of the real estate. We got lucky to acquire this building and really repurposed it to be a biomanufacturing center of excellence. And we launched our CDMO, our Center for Breakthrough Medicine, now SK PharmTechO, really out of this real estate entity. And it was really through realizing the opportunity that existed in the market. There was lack of supply, ton of demand, and the ability to create something bigger, better, and different. And that's really what we did. We analyzed and studied all the weaknesses that exist across the CDMO industry, all the problems that clients face, and addressed each of those issues one by one. Turnaround time, wait time, right first-time manufacturing, access to uh, talent and, and knowledge and the ability to have a digital infrastructure where data is fed to you through a portal. All of these things that weren't in place at the existing CDMOs and we created this new way really of working with clients that's resonated well place. And I really want to get into details of really how you started the CDMO because I know we, we were talking about hiring the right talent to actually bring that business to life, resources and people with that specialization in a CDMO. I do want to just hit on the piece that you mentioned around opportunity within real estate and being in that space. And I think a lot of people, probably the last two, three years, life sciences taking up space in Philadelphia, I feel like has been a trend. So talk to that a little bit. There is tremendous demand right now in terms of scientific advancement. The problem is the capital needs to keep up with that. So the FDA approved more cell and gene therapies this year than they did in the previous five years combined. The FDA is finally getting their staffing right. They're finally getting this idea of um, understanding advanced therapies. The pipeline has never been bigger, but right now the capital markets are tight. So we need the capital markets to open up a little bit more. However, uh, there is a concept of repurposing office properties and some others to life science space. And I think that's great. And we need it. We certainly do. I think the issue is you have to have a building that's really well suited for conversion. Um, and that shows up in floor loading capacity, floor to ceiling height. The utilities are hugely important. You have to have, you have to have an always on system. So backup generation, dual grid electrical feed, perhaps. Um, and you definitely need all the power and water requirements, um, as well as all the gas lines needed to, to do lab experiments and uh, commercial production. So you need all of that infrastructure in place. And some buildings really don't have the, um, it's expensive to convert rather than sometimes Greenfield is cheaper than Brownfield. So you just need to analyze the building. We happen to have a building obviously built by GSK that had a billion dollars in infrastructure. So it was easily convertible, but there's, my hope is that the demand continues, the capital markets open back up and all of the space gets filled. It certainly has been filled. One of the interesting parts of the real estate um, industry, at least for biotech, is this concept of incubators. We don't have an incubator at our site, but I know there are some in the city and they are all full. Uh, mostly because it's an easy way for a startup to be part of socially and from a business perspective, access to resources, access to lab space and equipment that's shared. And it's nice to have the spread of resources around to optimize uh, capital efficiency. 
And so when you're saying the FDA is now had this huge pipeline, now they're finally getting through it. So would you say that a CDMO is almost more in demand or that business model is more demand than ever? I think so. I think it's because the complex therapies are getting approved at a exponential pace. Those are the ones that are typically the most outsourced. And 80% of viral vector manufacturing is outsourced. 60% of cell therapy manufacturing is outsourced. Small molecules certainly outsourced to some more commoditized product biologics also heavily outsourced. So all of these things, and the reason for that is it's just way more efficient. Let the pharma companies and the biotechs focus on developing drugs and then outsource the manufacturing and the regulatory considerations to a CDMO who has expertise, people, um, on-demand equipment and um, space for the manufacturing so it, it, I, I think the time is right to do that. Um, and certainly the capital markets agree. I recently saw a research report that was studying stock price movements based on company announcements. And the biggest intraday move in stock price to the positive was when a company announced a partnership with a CDMO. I thought that was pretty interesting. That is pretty interesting. To put into context CDMOs, who is it that is doing the outsourcing? So. Yeah. Outsourcing obviously is a major part of this. When I think of, I think of like like you said, GSK, maybe Pfizer, right? These major companies that are rolling out vaccines. Then you obviously have the companies that maybe are spinning out of pen that now are scaling. So, who is the ideal customer? Are the the major players in the business? Do they basically have their own infrastructure? Are they outsourcing? What does that really look like? Yeah, there's three primary ways that we partner with folks, right? The first is a small biotech that does not have the internal resources. They're very early in their life or late for that matter. And they just don't have the resources to handle either developing and manufacturing, developing developing advanced analytics or doing the manufacturing itself. So we can partner with these early stage biotechs to help them develop all of this stuff and then make it. The second is a company, perhaps with a commercial or near commercial product, that has a developed process that just needs improvement. It's broken in some way, or it's really expensive. The process that they developed is not scalable in any way. They were able to dose, let's say, a few patients, a handful of patients during the clinical trial, but they need to produce or map for the masses uh, based on later stage clinical trials and or commercial production. So we help them develop a more robust process and we help them either fix what's broken or make it more scalable. And then the third is just a company that is manufacturing themselves or manufacturing with another CDMO and they need more supply or they need redundancy to help them manage the risks. And so we can be that dual source supply or we can be um, an increase in the capacity that they. So those are the three main ways that we partner. And I think, look, there's a lot of consultants out there that are hired to help companies select their CDMO. And the biggest thing is, what is the CDMO's track record? What is their right first time success rate? How many batch successes? How many bad failures? How many, what types of, so we produce many different types of viral vectors. We produce AAV, adeno, lentiviral vectors. Anyway, all of these different ways of doing gene therapy or gene-modified cell therapy and the client wants to know, have you worked with my specific vector type? They want to know, do you have a digital backbone? How am I getting information from you? How, what is your hiring policy? Do you retain? What is your turnover? 
What systems do you use? All of these things, which are part of their checklist for how they select a CDMO. And a big part of it really is, I don't want to say cultural fit, but is this a good partner for you? Do you feel good working with this company? This is your baby handing over that is incredibly important to achieving your company's success. And you want to know that you're partnering with someone that can really deliver and communicate. This is never an easy process. There are things that happen along the way. So long as that you have transparent, open, and timely communication, it it really is a partnership. And for the people that are listening to this, they're probably thinking, wow, Audrey was had this background in real estate, private equity, finance, and then she went and started a CDMO. And so it sounds like a pretty amazing story. Yeah, it's about hiring people that are experts in their field, right? So our first hire and our first couple hires were all leaders of our particular business. So we have a head of cell therapy manufacturing, a head of gene therapy manufacturing, a head of testing and analytics, and all of these people had 15, 20 year track records in their industry. And entrepreneurs, entrepreneur founders, right? A, a lot of the concepts that people talk about are like, just bringing a concept to market, going zero to one, nothing to something. And when you think about something so complex, like a CDMO, as, as you said, someone is giving them their, their baby, something that's so important to society, the success, all of that is so important. So to build up that reputation and responsibility that they can trust you probably takes a lot, but also building out the capabilities at your site and your company probably takes time as well. So try to understand that a little bit more. So how does that really work from when you decided that you want to transform the GSK space into a CDMO to ultimately being the company you are today? Yeah, there's a moment of clarity when you decide to launch the business based on market data, conversations with some of the experts in the world. There's that moment. And then there's a moment when you always have to hire to your weaknesses. So hiring all the experts in their field and knowing we hired a CEO who ran one of the largest CDOs in the world. So that was hugely important. And then he has a team that works with him every day that are extremely knowledgeable in what they're doing that clients trust to hand over their products to. Um, and then there's finding the right investor partner. This isn't inexpensive, as I said. We got a very sizable investment from SK, which allowed us to build the company. And that was a huge turning point. And then, of course, it's your first millions, your hardest. We had to, and this was in the middle of COVID, by the way. And so this customer basically, I think they came to our site maybe once. And that was after we signed our contract. So just it was someone that we, our head of business development at the time had a previous relationship. And this is all about trust and partnership. and so. Having previous relationships is hugely important. So we were able to win um, our first business with this customer who's still with us today and continues to increase uh, the amount that they're doing with us. So that's just a testament to uh, our team, how our team works with clients, and our ability to deliver on what we say. Something that you mentioned to me that I thought was pretty interesting during our call was the two different concepts of when you go to build in this space or maybe invest in this space, biopharma versus pharma services, pharma services being what CDMO falls into. That's right. So there's each investor has a different risk return appetite and they often have, depending on the type of investor, they can be specialized in a certain type of investment. 
or they can have a diversified portfolio that allocates certain percentages of the pie to various risks. So we, the way I look at the world is in biotech, at least, let's say it's a 90% failure rate, but that 10% that makes it, it's a huge success, right? The ROI is enormous. So there are investors out there that specialize in just biotech. They have longer investment time horizons because of the amount of time it takes to get the drug approved. Um, and they diversify their investments across a wide swath so that the 10% offsets the 90%. Um, for pharma services investors, it's very different, right? You don't have this binary risk that you're taking of success and failure. It's, it's a more modified approach, but you can, as long as your margins are there and your customer base is there and there's a market for your services, um, it's a good business to be. With CDMOs in particular, there's huge, the barriers to entry are high. The reason for that is it's hard to be a startup CDMO because customers want to know about track record. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's so expensive. And you said it, you have to hire the right people. How do you convince people to come work for you? And so I think that we had a trifecta um, of things that allowed us to be very successful and that we hired really good people at the right time that allowed us to buy track record through the hiring of these people that had tremendous experience. The second was we partnered with SK, which provide us with a capital partner that allowed us to build what we needed to build, do what we needed to do. And the third was we were able to get customers that really felt they wanted to be with us for the long term. So those three things really worked together to, to help us build a successful business. And so you mentioned SK a few times, and now we talked about that SK now has acquired Center for Breakthrough Medicine. Go into more about their partnership. And I think it's interesting that they were initial investor, right? And and then they eventually acquired you. So talk about that. It's a hugely capital-intensive business. Uh, you have to be patient. Um, 70% of your revenue will come from repeat business. And uh, I would say... 80 to 90% perhaps at um, scale will come from maybe a handful of clients. So you have to have um, really great relationships. And SK has allowed us to create a culture, have their logo is the wings of happiness. When employees log into their computer every day, they have to read how happy they are. And they truly embody that every day. So it's about creating a culture of respect and patient first mentality, customer centricity, and, and having that culture allows us to bring our full selves to work every day to partner hand in hand with our clients. And it really creates a an environment that allows us to succeed because ultimately this entire business is about relationships and partnership. And so this SK philosophy has re resonated really well with us. So they originally came in in 2021, December 21, with a $350 million investment, which is quite sizable uh, in terms of for a startup. Uh, but we needed that capital really buy equipment, which is very expensive to build up the space to hire all the people. So we were able to do that uh, very successfully through that partnership. And then ultimately, a couple months ago, that was, by the way, the 350 was for a minority investment. They came in with additional capital for a majority. And we're now part of this, what I would call a roll-up strategy of CDMOs, which includes SK Biotech in Ireland, Small Molecule, which is a legacy BMS site in Swartz in Ireland, 
Uh, the second is SK Biotech in Korea, which is also a small molecule site. Epuscasi, which is a French viral vector manufacturer that specializes in gene therapy. Ampac Fine Chemical, which is a small molecule manufacturer in Sacramento. And it's just been great to be part of this ecosystem of CDMOs that allow us to really create a comprehensive offering for the marketplace. And you, it was five years into acquisition, right? Yeah. So we started the company originally as Discovery Labs, uh, and then we changed our name to Center for Breakthrough Medicines. And we essentially, when we originally had the idea, so we bought the building and I think it was 18 or 19, and we were showing the space. And one tenant after the next was saying, we need biomanufacturing capacity. So eventually a light bulb goes off. Maybe we should start a company that offers manufacturing capacity. So we started a CDMO in a separate entity, changed the name uh, to Center for Breakthrough Medicine. So Discovery Labs is now just the real estate, completely separate ownership. Center for Breakthrough Medicine is the CDMO and continue to partner with SK on the build out of our site. Um, And we just really appreciate that partnership. Um, we're very happy to be based here in Philadelphia, which is the birthplace of cell and gene therapy. All the companies that are hatched out of Penn and CHOP, Drexel, Temple, and all these amazing universities that have such outstanding researchers. Um, it's really the core, the heart of our city. Um, and we now have this brilliant, I guess, a continuum of capital and services that allows companies that are born here to stay here, much like Spark Therapeutics did. It's a great example of a success story for a gene therapy. Uh, They're continuing to invest heavily in Philadelphia. And we love companies like that. uh, And we do feel that Philadelphia is a great place to have that ecosystem. And touching a little more on the timeline or the time horizon, someone asked a founder in a startup world, right? Five years, they'd be very happy. So curious, what do you think was a key part of that success in that five-year time horizon? I think it's just first, recognizing the opportunity. Second, being aggressive about executing. You can't go slow. You have to run hard and fast all day, every day, and make sacrifices. I just see the pictures behind me. I have family. I have young kids. And there's times when they're sitting on my office for it at work. I just being exposed to what I'm doing, which is good and bad at times. But look, we all make sacrifices. I am constantly 24-7 on call, essentially. Um, And that's what's happened over the last five years. I worked my tail off to get to this point. And we all did. Everybody here, this is about a team. Nobody can do it themselves. We have 300 people. Our initial core of 15, 20 people. At the end of 2020, we have 20 people. At the end of 21, we had 100. At the end of 22, we had four. Now we're part of this 2,000-person organization. That only happens with extremely hard work. Uh, and this was, I would love to say that we were lucky and we had the market. We did close our capital at the perfect time. Yeah. But that was actually <clears throat> two years of pitching. I think I did. We probably, I could go back and look. We had maybe, when you, anytime you save a file, you know, version one, version two, I think we we're version 350. We did so many pitches. And by the way, this was in COVID where everything was on Zoom. I did the entire, we did the entire roadshow on Zoom. So this was at 
it's just hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, and just never taking no for an answer. I want to uh, I want to touch on the workforce piece of this. So you mentioned Philadelphia, the amazing institutions we have in Philly, and then in the earlier part of the podcast, you mentioned around the workforce opportunity or gap that exists within the life science space. So would you mind getting into that opportunity for Philly and for just life science in general? Yeah, I, I think if I look at a macroeconomic level, this is such a wonderful opportunity for our city. I think the mayor gets it. The governor gets it. I think the feds are starting to get it. Look, there is a time to double down and the time is now. This is about investing in the future of our city. And let me explain what all this so right now, we're all very aware of the issues in Philadelphia. There's there's crime issues. There's an opportunity for us to take folks that may not have the same opportunity as the rest of us, train them in these advanced therapies. Look, we're hiring. We're going to be at the Center for Breakthrough Medicine is probably having 2,000 people here in the next five, 10 years. We need to train those people. Those people don't just exist. A lot of them are manufacturing operators. You don't need a college degree to be a manufacturing operator. We can train the folks to do those type of jobs if they have the ring personality type, et cetera. But we can definitely hire people in logistics, warehouse, uh, obviously manufacturing operations. And, and there's many other jobs where we can hire people. And this is about the, the workforce doesn't exist and the, the exponential growth in our industry will continue. So taking either state dollars or federal dollars and investing in workforce development is going to benefit our state tremendously and our region in ways that we haven't seen. I'm very passionate about that. I've been part of several organizations that are thinking through how we best do that. Um, so that's one thing. I think the other thing is we have to start thinking about investing in the research and development of these therapies and finding ways to provide infrastructure for these companies in this form of, we talked about this already, lab space, manufacturing services, patient education. Patients need access to these therapies and explaining what they are. They're complex and different, in particular in the cellology therapy space. Having education and support for families that are making decisions and or going through some of these uh, therapeutic treatments. So all of these things are part of opportunities for our city, for our state, for our country. Uh, Philadelphia is the number one region for NIH funding within cellology therapy. We have 80 different cellology therapy companies here. We have Stuart Weissman, we have Carl June, we have Jim Wilson, we have all these Nobel laureates. <laughs> we are a perfect example, a case study for investing heavily in this space so that we can continue our positive trajectory. So one part I do want to touch on is around the impact of technology in cell and gene therapy development space. What do you think about when it comes to that? So artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, and automation are all hugely important to manufacturing. The reason for that is you have all these external factors that contribute to batch success or failure, and batch failure is hugely expensive. So figuring out how to make that golden batch every single time by taking into account all the factors that went into its success is all about having good data 
and then analytics around that data to help feed the future decision-making process. We luckily invested very early in our digital infrastructure. We don't have to tear out any walls. All the cable on all the fiber is laid and we have all of the software and that data um, center and depositories that we need to help analyze all this information on our site. We're lucky in that regard that the investment was made early. Now it's about continuing to mine and track the data. So that's internally at the Center for Breakthrough Medicine. I think for the industry as a whole, there's tremendous benefit that can be had from AI in clinical trials by identifying the perfect patient or perfect candidate for a certain therapy. I know there's companies out there that are looking at commercialized products that already exist and repurposing them for other diseases that perhaps can cure something that's completely unrelated to their original approval. So there's a lot going on in terms of biomarkers, in terms of DNA, in terms of previous indications that can be treated with new therapy. So it's all, it's a very exciting time for our industry. I think we're going to see a lot of change over the next five, 10 years. And since you brought up COVID, right, I think we saw the rapid development and delivery of vaccines. We're talking about the impact it's had on the industry. I'm not going to act like I know exactly what, but the mRNA technology and building out that capability seemed like it was brought to market fast. So what impact has had in your kind of experiences with Center Breakthrough Medicines? I think that globally speaking, it's a proof of concept for mRNA. mRNA, they've been working on mRNA for decades and obviously found their sweet spot in terms of being able to uh, do the COVID vaccine. I think that's, we all benefit from that. And it's wonderful, but it's, it also proves how fast the FDA can move when they want to move fast. It also proves the benefits of, of using mRNA and people are looking at new ways uh, to utilize it now uh, throughout certain disease types and indication. I think that um, it also pointed out it had other impacts, both positive and negative. So, so vaccine production took up a tremendous amount of capacity in the manufacturing space. And everyone's now calling it the COVID cliff because there's not as much demand for the vaccine these days. I don't know if you've noticed. So a lot of that capacity is now open. It also slowed down clinical trials. So all patients were during that time, everybody was at home. And so you're now seeing progression in that space, but there's a period of time where clinical trials did not take place. And so there's a vacuum. So the manufacturers are now saw in the earnings releases um, for Catalan and some of these other CDMOs last year, Wuxi as well, where they had to decrease their projections um, because of COVID impact. So, right. so there's interesting ramifications from COVID both positive. Yeah. In terms of capacity, that's a perfect example. It's just like crazy to demand. And then when that disappears, it's what do you do then? Yeah. So what has it been like building this company in Philly, especially like we talked about being the, uh, the center of, of cell and gene therapy? It's an amazing place to start a company. Um, and I would give many reasons for that. The first of which is talent. You can't do it without the right team. And we have the best talent in the country, if not the world, when it comes to our modalities that we're working in. Talent is huge. And there's a diversity of talent, including big pharma, research institutions, and the universities are churning out new talent every day. We have 
think 90 or 100,000 life science employees, 10,000 plus of Swiss cell and gene therapy experience. So just great talent pool. The second is lifestyle. I think that in order to attract talent, talent, you can attract talent here, will talent stay here? And it really is relatively affordable compared to other biotech ecosystems. So companies can afford to rent space. You don't have to pay $120 a foot like you have to in New York and Boston. So it's affordable from a business perspective in terms of a compensation rates, in terms of rental rates, and in terms of procuring services. But it's also relatively uh, less expensive for a person to live here. We have great public schools. All my kids are in public schools. Um, and the, the cost of living in, is low compared to these other biotech and East Coast cities. So I think that's the second thing is really lifestyle and cost of living. And then the third is access, right? So we have great access to other components that are required. Like I said earlier, continuum of capital sources. You're starting a company here. You have access to some of the best uh, law firms, some of the best capital raising uh, investment bankers. You have access to consultants that are right in your backyard. Um, some of the folks, if you're building out space, some of the best contractors. And there's just a, a wealth of services for people right in your backyard that can really help you not only launch your business, but then scale and continue to grow it. And what are some key lessons learned you would share to your younger self or the spy entrepreneur that would want to follow your footsteps? Advice to my to my younger self, I think, is really just everything is a phase, right? Nothing is permanent. Don't glory too much in your success. Don't cry too much in your failure. Just keep trucking, keep going, keep your eye on the prize and know that you can't do it alone and it, it takes it. And that ultimately brings me to the partnership with SK. We're so pleased for Center for Breakthrough Medicine to be part of the SK Firm Tenko family. We're really looking forward to getting word out about our new brand, SK Parteco, um, and making sure that we can deliver therapies for patients around the world. Audrey, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really enjoyed hearing more about your story, the successes, and what's next for you in this next chapter with SK. Thanks again for joining. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and uh, happy new year.